little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, Please be joined by Les Lazaruk, the sports director of the Saskatoon Media Group and longtime play-by-play voice of the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, how's, uh, how's everything going in Toontown for you? Well, it's cold. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's cold. It's almost Christmas. So I guess those two things kind of go hand in glove right about now. Also joined by lovely Swift uh, in Swift Skirt, Saskatchewan, by uh, my co-host Sean Mullen. I thought you were going to say I was lovely, but I'll, I'll go with <laughs> I'll that. Take it. <laughs> oh. Les, I, I saw I saw the picture of you and uh, and Craig Craig West a little while ago. Uh, with with you know Bob having retired after his long run, are you guys kind of battling it out for the uh, uh, the guys who are the elder statesmen here now in the league? Well, Westy's got me by a few years in terms of age and in terms of experience or, or longevity, if you will. So I'm I'm still the junior compared to Westy. So at least I have that still. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I I'd said to a friend of mine when I saw that picture, I'm like, there would be hours and hours of stories between the two of you guys, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we have to kind of put ourselves on a bit of a time limit. Usually the game, uh, the start of our broadcast is usually a pretty good way to, to get us to stop because all of a sudden, oh, hey, I guess we're on the air here right away. We better get going. <laughs> and I mean, that's essentially what almost happened uh, in Saskatoon when uh, when Tri-Cities came through. It was good to see Westy. It was the first time, obviously, in, in three years. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the guys... Uh, from the U.S. division make their way through. Uh, we've seen three teams now. Uh, just saw Mike Boyle with Spokane last week. Saw Casey Bryant, whatever it come through. And now we've got still to come through Nick Merrick with Portland and, of course, Tom Boying with the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds, which will come through both those teams next month. Yeah, when we had Wesley on the show a little while back, and, and, and he told us he was going to hunt you down and, and try to make sure to take that picture, uh, you know, while, while you guys still can, to, you know, to commemorate all the you know, all, all the years and all the games. Now he, he succeeded. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so this year, less, I mean, I, I, I think there was a, a, maybe a bit of a sentiment, uh, you know, of people feeling a little sorry for, I don't want to say like pity, but more like, Oh, that's really a shame for the blades after all those years of work, rebuilding the franchise only to have the years where the cycle was meant to peak come as the playoffs were canceled due to COVID. And I don't know what people expected from the Blades this year, but it sure seems like they've exceeded it uh, and are are right back in the mix again. So it's got to be really exciting for the organization and and for the fans in the city. 
Well, it is exciting for the organization and the fans. The organization will tell you that they felt pretty good about their team coming into this season, mostly because they were a young team last year. Um, I tend to, when I'm doing my little uh, spiel prior to the game on Twitter, I, I go through a lot of numbers and a lot of things, and average age of the 20-man roster for each team head-to-head, I'll end up throwing on there. And the Blades last year were consistently, I think out of 68 games, they were the younger team on 58 of the 68 occasions, average age of the 20-man roster dressed that night. So they returned pretty much everybody. I mean, they lost some key people. Don't get me wrong. Nolan Meyer in goal was, of course, the Western Hockey League's newly crowned wins leader for his career last season. He's gone. Kristen Robbins was a pretty good contributor for four seasons up front for the Blades. And Rhett Reinhardt was a pretty decent defenseman. So those were the three 20-year-olds that graduated. But beyond that, that was about it. They did a couple of things prior to the start of the season where they traded Kyle Krenkovic to Seattle and got Connor Roulette back. That's worked out well for both sides. Um, and they ended up picking up Blake Gustafson, who was going to be an extra 20-year-old on defense with Red Deer, because Red Deer were able to get, really, the best 20-year-old they could hope to get back out of anybody in the league, in my mind. Uh, I mean, they got Jaden Group back, their captain uh, from the New York Rangers. They got Ben King back as a 20-year-old from Anaheim. Uh, and Christopher Setoff, the Finnish import, playing his fourth season in the Western Hockey League on defense. So the, the Rebels did pretty well. There was no room in the end for Blake Gustafson, and he's just fit in marvelously with the Blade defense. The big question mark for Saskatoon coming off a 38-win season last year was, okay, you're going to be older, you're going to have great skaters, your defense is solid, you've got a good set of forward, you're deep at both those areas. What's your goaltending going to be like? Who's going to replace Meyer? Well, they've replaced him with two guys that have alternated religiously throughout the season. Ethan Chadwick started game one in Prince Albert. Austin Elliott started game two in Saskatoon. And they've alternated like that all the way through 29 games. Chadwick's played 15 times. Elliott's played 14. Elliott's the number one goaltender by goals against average in the league, and Chadwick's number four. I would say they've replaced Nolan Meyer pretty well, up to the point where some fans are going, Nolan who? That's not fair, but they've replaced him very, very well. Well, you know, and, and oftentimes goaltending numbers are, you know, more of a, of, of a bigger picture reflection of the of the team. I mean, you know, how, how valuable has it been to have a fifth-year guy like Delagorjandier back there? Well, Delagorjandier, and let's throw out uh, the name of, of Gustafson as well. Uh, those have been two pretty good uh, you know, 20-year-old defensemen they've got back there. You've got a 19-year-old in Charlie Wright who attended Edmonton Oilers at rookie camp, and I think that was a big boon for him and his confidence coming back for a fourth season. Um, ben Saunderson's a pretty unheralded third pairing type of guy. Tanner Molendijk is going to be a second or third round pick in the NHL draft, maybe higher than that, because he leads the team here in plus minus, and you can say what you will about plus minus, but if you have the best plus minus stat in your team, which he does, then you've got a pretty good thing going there with him, and he's among the top three or four in defensemen in the entire Western Hockey League right now. So he's going to be a high draft pick this year. So they've got you know five, six pretty good defensemen 
uh, on the team right now, and they could probably use one more in order to really round it out to get uh, themselves battle-tested and battle-ready to play against the Winnipegs and the Red Deers and the Moose Jaws and eventually down the road, Seattle's, Kamloops, Portland's uh, of the world. So we'll see what happens between now and, and January the 10th in the trade deadline. But the team defensively, I mean, they lead the league in fewest shots on goal against. They only allowed uh, Regina 15 on Saturday night. So they've averaged less than 25 shots on goal per game. And their team goals against average because the goaltenders are, are stopping 90% or better. Is, you know, the team goals against is just over 2.1. So that's that's the that's going to be the stuff that you build and, and win a lot of games with is defense and then spreading it out from there and, and doing the fine job offensively, which has all of a sudden exploded in the last four games, scoring 9, 8, 8, and 6 goals, 31 of them in the last four games all of a sudden. I mean, if, if you keep other teams down to 25 shots a game, it doesn't matter. I mean, offense does matter, but you're going to generally have success. That's that's an extraordinarily good number. Is, is that a reflection of the way, the style they want to play? Or are you just seeing a team that's built to keep shots down? Is it kind of a combination? What's your view? Yeah, I would say a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, Sean. I, I would say that the system uh, sort of lends itself to being uh, a team that's going to try and keep you to the outside. And unless you're adamant on throwing pucks to the net from you know 30 feet outside hoping that you can get a re- deflection hoping you can get a rebound uh, and those things just don't seem to be happening because of the way the team plays defense in front of the goaltenders those loose pucks around the front of the goal are not there they're generally swept away they've done a great job of limiting the second chance opportunities for the opposition but then again the other part of that is is that the team defense I, I, you know, the forwards hustle back there aren't hardly any odd man rushes against. Generally, if there's three three forwards coming up ice for the opposition, there's a two defensemen and a forward or two forwards and a defenseman or some combination. There, there, there's not an odd man situation for the offense coming into the Blades' defensive zone more often than not this season, and that's allowed them to keep the shots on goal numbers down, keep the goals against down, and with the kind of fast, up-tempo type of game they play, the transition is pretty key too because as soon as you turn it over bang it's going up ice to the other team's blue line and there's somebody there and then somebody else is joining pretty quickly and you're catching the other teams with a lot of odd man rushes as well it's fun to watch it's similar to what you see out of winnipeg it's similar to what you see out of portland um it's similar to what you can see out of kamloops um this is this is really a fast-paced type of game and it was it was funny uh, the blades played in prince albert's a couple of saturdays ago and uh, we haven't seen the Raiders since opening weekend. And, you know, all the the players for each team hadn't been back yet. Uh, Landon Kozier wasn't back with the Prince Albert Raiders yet. There had not been Roulette or Gustafson or, uh, or Josh Pillar or any of those types of people back with the Blades. Uh, but they had all those people in the lineup that night. And uh, at the end of the first period, I had Curtis Hunt, the GM of the Raiders, come on to join me uh, live. And he came up before we were in commercial break before we, we started chatting and he looks at me and he goes that's a fast-paced team you've got there and it's like yeah that's that's the way they want to play it and uh it it, it it can sound like it's a bit of a track meet but it's a controlled type of track meet they make sure that they look after their end and then take it up ice and try to really catch you with your with your feet flat-footed and uh, and, and and get by you and, and get themselves great chances to score
you know, you, you say a, a familiar name like sorry, you say a familiar name like Curtis Hunt, but you know, uh, having only been out of the league three and a bit years now, when I look around the East Division in particular, which was kind of my old stomping grounds, uh, the, the teams you got to know the best, there aren't a lot of familiar names in familiar spots anymore where it comes to head coaches even general managers to some degree there, there are more GMs and coaches but uh, th- there was a time it seemed like there was a lot of tenured coaches behind the bench in that division and now the the wheel has changed hasn't it Les? It has uh, I mean you know you've got uh, Jeff Truitt now a long time assistant under Mark Hapscheid is the, 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 is the top dog in PA Brendan Sonny is in his second season here with the Blades taking over from Mitch Love uh, you go down to Regina. Well, John Paddock is back behind the bench again. Uh, he's, I'm happy to report that he's uh, doing well. His health is better than what it was last year when uh, a combination of, of COVID and uh, and cancer nearly claimed his life, and he's been able to bounce back. And, uh, and is obviously pretty fiery. But just ask the Kamloops media what they think of him uh, and his uh, and his demeanor when you start talking about trading Connor Bedard. <laughs> Um, in Moose Jaw, Mark O'Leary has been there now for a few years, and he's a he's a good coach. Brandon just changed. I mean, Don McGillery had been there for a few years, and uh, suddenly uh, they didn't get off to a great start. Marty Murray, the GM, says, okay, I'm going to take over behind the bench. And in Winnipeg, uh, James Patrick's been there ever since they've moved from Kootenay. So it's it's there, there's, there's some new faces, but there's still some guys there who've been there for a while. So um, the cast of characters is, is, is pretty decent in the East Division. You know, you, you mentioned Brendan Sonny, and obviously that's the, the guy you work with the closest. And, you know, we had him on the show, I think, you know, fairly fairly early on in his Blades tenure. And, you know, you look at yeah, his track record, you know, being coming coming from Everett, you know, being a, uh, you know, a, a, a Kevin Constantine disciple, if you will. And, and you know, you mentioned, a, a, you know, a track meet style, an attacking style. I mean, that's kind of, you know, kind of the opposite, you know, form of of hockey than than we would expect out of a you know out of an Everett guy you know tr- traditionally I mean how much how much do you think that's just adapting to the the horses that you know Colin Priestner has provided for him and how much of that is you know well we you, it, scoring goals is fun that's you know what we should go out and do in the first place well when Brendan took over in the introductory news conference for him he's taking over from Mitch Love whom he worked with as an assistant coach under Kevin Constantine and Everett. And he says, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Kevin Constantine guy. So was Mitch, but there's some differences. We're not going to be, you know, I'm not Mitch Love the second. This is not going to be the same style of team. I've got my own take on a few things and how I want to see things done. Defensively, I think there's a lot of Kevin Constantine in what. Mitch, uh, what Brendan Sonny and Mitch Love brought to the Blades. But the whole idea of what happens when you're now in possession of the puck, especially in your own zone, Sonny wants to move the puck up quickly. He wants to get that 100-foot pass from out of your zone to the other team's blue line and get attacking as quickly as you can with the speed coming through neutral ice. Whereas with Mitch Love, it was a very deliberate attack coming out of the zone, and there was a lot of movement but guys close together and trying to hit the blue line as a wave of five uh, and, and being able to find some options to try and break through off of the rush. If you couldn't, get it in there and start working away and grinding away and trying to get that possession back 
off of the dump in and, and then make things happen from there. The Blades of this year score a lot of goals off the rush. Uh, and and they but they can do the work along the boards too. But for the most part, they're they're a pretty dangerous team off of the rush. And I think all you have to do is take a look at the that some of the goals that were scored back on Saturday against the Regina Pats. Um, that was that was a just a, a textbook type of a Brennan Sonny uh, attack style of a game where the Blades scored on their first three shots on goal and their fourth goal came on their fifth shot on goal and it was lights out on that particular night. So. Um, there is a difference, you know, Sonny from Love, and uh, but I think the defensive strategies are, are basically the same. I know, too. I mean, the first time I talked to Kevin Constantine years ago, uh, he did not take kindly to uh, how people interpreted his approach to the game and, and laid out that he wanted to play and develop skill, but that obviously putting yourself... Uh, in the right positions structurally, he felt opened the door to having the best opportunity to do that in the transition game. And maybe that's part of what you're seeing with the Saskatoon team. They, they play smart in their own zone, positionally well, and then that opens the door for taking advantage of other teams' mistakes and go on a transition. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Sean. Uh, when I think of a guy like Trevor Wong playing center, your centers on this team have to be 200-foot guys. Like they cannot be one-dimensional offense only. They have to come back. They have to help out. They have to be positionally sound. They have to make sure that they've got their man and don't let him go in the offensive zone and pick off passes, win your share of face-offs in the defensive zone, and get that offense started, and then join in and help out. And guys like Trevor Long, Jaden Weems, Josh Piller, they've done that so effectively this year. Um uh, that's you know that that's where it comes from. The structural awareness and the ability to execute that defensively will turn around and lead you to good offense. Well, I mean, and, and, and I'll take Sean's point that you know Constantine presumably wanted to push back that you know against some of some of that you know. I don't know. I don't want to want to call it a stereotype, a preconceived notion, whatever whatever we think about the way he. You know, coach the game, but you know the proof is kind of in the pudding. I mean, you know, and a guy that 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 crosses all those boundaries would be uh, uh, Nikita Sherback, right? Who you know had a you know good run in, yeah. it, with the Blades, and then you know I saw him play with uh, up close with the Silver Tips, and it seemed like they kind of had the they never really let him loose, and you know that was Constantine, Sonny, and Mitch Love on that on that squad, and it seemed like they didn't really. You know, it's like you, you got a, a a Ferrari, but you're driving it like a Chevy Camaro. You know what I mean? It was just kind of. I mean, what do you think about that, Les? Yeah, well, and then there, there's probably something to be said for that too. I mean, show me the coach that's really going to agree with a preconceived notion. I mean, Jacques Lemaire, when he was coaching New Jersey and trapped everybody to death, never liked the word trap. That was, you know, it's it's just like the term rebuild in hockey. Nobody ever wants to admit they're rebuilding after they've had a good run and then end up only winning 10 to 15 games the next year. Nobody wants to admit to a rebuild. But you know, if, it, if, it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I guess it's a duck. And that's the same sort of a thing when it comes to uh, the Everett Silvertips. You may have some people that can play a wide-open style of game, but if you see that your team in general can't do it, then just because you have one or two guys that can go, you have to maybe try and make those one or two guys 
fit in with what the capabilities are of the rest of the group and then see what you can do from there as a team. Um, sometimes you'd see a, a guy like Sherbach. I remember when the Blades played Everett back then. Um, he actually had a couple of good games against Saskatoon in the course of his time with the Silvertips, only because he was so amped up to want to do something. I think he broke the mold a little bit, broke out of what was supposed to happen, and then took off and, and, and uh, was able to make things happen. But uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that when the film session or the video session afterwards was being done, uh, it was pointed out to him, okay, you got away with it this time, Nikita, but don't ever get into a habit of doing this sort of a thing all the time. I'm, I'm sure behind closed doors there may have been that as well. Well, and like you said, Les, it really depends on your personnel to some degree. Uh, yeah. I remember when first in, in Swift Current for a couple of years, you know, the Broncos were accused of not being able to play a good transition game and being, you know, too tied to trying to play a hard-nosed defensive structure kind of game. And Mark Lamb said to me, well, that's the personnel we have. You know, uh, I'd love to open up, but I can't do that. And then a couple of years later, you have a team with uh, all sorts of offensive firepower um, that battled right down to the wire for first place in the division, and they played a lot more wide open. So, you know, well, as, soon as, you, as soon as you add in Hepo Niemi and, and Steenbergen yeah. and Godden and all those guys, yeah, suddenly you're a different hockey team because you've got that kind of talent. There's no two ways about that. <laughs> coaches sometimes get put in boxes especially based on their first impressions wherever they are right but I think most yeah, of them want to oh, yeah uh, how do you think he's oh, developed yeah. at this level I mean it's uh, certainly been a transition for him um, but how do you feel like he's taken to the role well I think because he, and don't forget between Everett and Saskatoon there was four seasons of professional hockey in the French professional league, he was co he was a head coach. So, I mean, it was an adjustment again, coming from adults, some guys who had played uh, national hockey league, even American hockey league, and now are playing uh, overseas in France. Uh, maybe not the best professional league in Europe that you can find, but it's still decent. The quality is there. You've got, like I say, guys who played in the NHL playing for some of those French teams in the, in that league. Um, you go from adults to, again, 16 to 20-year-old uh, kids, essentially, young men, and it's a whole different atmosphere, and it's a, you know, you, your, your attitude has to be a little different. You can't treat the, the adult the same way you treat the younger guy, and you have to maybe you know, put the screws to the young kids a little bit in order to get them to understand what it is. And I think there was a, a period of adjustment for Brendan Sonny coming back to the Western Hockey League and to realize what he had as far as the team goes and then the adjustment period for the players who now had this guy who seemed to play the same sort of defense as Mitch Love, but boy, he sure wants to do things differently offensively in the transition game and certainly on his special teams because those are Brendan Sonny's two babies. His power play and his penalty kill are the two things that he really works a lot on. And um, he uh, he's done a pretty good job with that. It was a tough goal in the first half last season. I mean, they got off to a great start. I think they were nine and two, but then they fell on hard times. Once they got into the CHL top ten, fell right off. Uh, we're closing back towards five hundred around Christmas, and then in the second half, we're able to get familiarized. The chemistry started to hit, and away they went. They ended up winning thirty-eight games. Coming into this year. 
everybody pretty much comes back. Same coaching staff. Um, the familiarization is there. The systems are the same. Everybody feels a lot more comfortable and familiar with what's going on, what you're supposed to do, what your role is, what the coach expects of you, what you expect of the coaching staff. And it's just gelled. Uh, for, for lack of a better term, it is gelled through the first 29 games. Well, you know, obviously, you know, coaching is a, a huge part of success in this league. And we've talked about, you know, uh, team composition and, you know, what, what horses, you know, these coaches have available to them. And, you know, it's it, we're, we're well into the Colin Priestner era. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, didn't know what to expect. And some people maybe were a little bit, you know, side-eyed as far as, you know, Priestner's background and, and uh, how he came to, 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 you know, fall into this position. But I think the proof has been in the pudding that the, the Blades have been, you know, competitive every year and putting a, putting a, a nice product on the ice, a nice, a nice group of players. What's, what's it been like to, to work with Priestner this far? Well, Colin is a guy that, uh, I mean, I don't see him all the time. I mean, I, he never turns me down to talk. But I don't always seek him out. I, I, it kind of let him and Dan Tenser and Steve Hildebrand, the uh, associate GM, uh, Dan Tenser is the director of scouting. I kind of let them do their thing, and uh, you know they're they're around the team, and yet they're not around the team. They're always talking to the coaches. There's 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 definitely a fluidity in the way the relationships work amongst the group. Um, I just sort of sit back and let them do their thing, and I'm just watching to see how it all comes together. And like you say. Uh, you know, they took over the team in after the Memorial Cup hosting year in 2013, and they had what was it five straight seasons of missing the playoffs, mostly because they had been left bare by hosting the Memorial Cup in 2013. It was a matter of rebuilding and restocking the shelves, so to speak, with talent. But once they got there, they seemed to have found a way and a formula for being able to be pretty competitive on a yearly basis. If you take away, or if you add on the two years, and you mentioned it, where they had the chance to be in the playoffs and maybe had a bit of a chance to take a run uh, when COVID hit in 2020, but they made the playoffs in 19, would have made it in 20. The bubble year, they were you know second or third in the East Division bubble in, in Regina, so they'd have been in the playoffs that year. They were in the playoffs last year. They're going to be in them again this year, so that's five years in a row. And, and, and not just sneaking in. They've been, you know, in pretty comfortably, and you know, it's just a matter now of getting through, winning a, a round or two, and, and getting the city really charged up because everybody's kind of waiting to see, you know, are, are they really going to do it this time? There's some, there's some excitement. We're we're starting to hear a lot of buzz. Oh, the Blades are on nine straight. Really, twenty four and five. Really, best ever record through twenty nine games in fifty nine years of franchise history. Really, yeah, really. This is a pretty good team. Um, but there's always in the back of a lot of people's mind, the people who pay the 20 to $25. Okay, but what's going to happen when crunch time comes around? This team is probably better positioned right now to handle that than any previous team that I've seen in my going into now 29th season with the Blades in the Western Hockey League. I think this team has that capability of doing something special this year. And we'll we'll see how it ends up being. I mean, like I say, the Moose Jaws, the Winnipegs, the Red Deers are going to have something to say about that. Even the Reginas, 
uh, are going to have something to say about that, but I would say they have a pretty good chance to do some damage come uh, end of March, April, and maybe even into May. Well, and, you know, you talk this team being good. Their win percentage right now is tied for second in the entire league with uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds, who everyone's talking about as a serious Memorial Cup contender. With Winnipeg Red Deer, Saskatoon, Portland, Seattle, um, like those five teams are all playing uh, at a extraordinarily high level. And you mentioned Moose Jaw, Kamloops, they're not that far behind. But those five in particular, I don't know the last time that the league has had uh, that many teams that are playing at a Memorial Cup level this early in the year, even before you get to the big ads that could come around deadline time. Well, I'd, I'd probably go back to, and Sean, you're very well aware of this year, but the 2017-18 season where Swift Current, Moose Jaw, Regina, just in that East Division, of course, the Pats were hosting the Memorial Cup that year, so you knew they were going to be pretty decent. But, you know, so you had Swift Current, Moose Jaw were really good. Um, and then you look out West, and there were some pretty decent teams out that way as well. I, I would say there's some similarities between 2018 and this year. And funny, it's the fact that there's a Western Hockey League team hosting again. Everybody understands, like, everybody in the Eastern Conference are big Kamloops Blazers fans because if the Blazers can somehow find a way to win the Western Conference uh, and that being the Memorial Cup host, then automatically the Eastern Conference champion is going to Kamloops to play in the Memorial Cup. So everybody in the East is big-time Kamloops fans. Seattle, we all know they're good. Portland, we all know they're good. But everybody is hoping that Kamloops makes the deal they need to make and become so good that they roll on through and win the Western Conference so that an Eastern Conference team can make their way to the Memorial Cup. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to, to, to find a way to beat a Seattle or a Portland come Western Hockey League final if an Eastern Conference team, whomever it ends up being, gets there and sees one of those teams from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you mentioned that season. I had similar thoughts. And another thing that was very true but that season was the amount of teams that saw themselves being in the mix and the fact that the Memorial Cup hosts had to act met the prices but it came to trade deadline time were as high as we've ever seen them and I, I would think we're kind of gearing up for a potential similar situation now with so few teams out of the mix and the number that probably feel like they're in it uh, how expensive do you fear deadline deals will be? Yeah, uh, here's the, the big difference from that year, though, is that you could still trade 16- and 15-year-old prospects, even if they were mm-hmm. signed. Uh, you can't do that anymore. That particular year, what was done by Manny Biberos in, in uh, Split Current, by uh, uh, John Paddock in uh, in Regina, that led to the changing, the, the massaging of the trade rules where signed 15 and 16-year-olds cannot be dealt, period, and signed 17-year-olds can only be dealt if player and family agree to it. And this is the thing that everybody forgets about with this whole Connor Bedard thing. This isn't just go ahead and trade the best 17-year-old because he's not coming back next year. And yeah, I, I'll agree with everybody. If you can do it and set yourself up for the future, you should do it. But you can't because the ownership in the Regina Pats is adamant 
that they're going to hang on to Connor Bedard. They've looked after every one of his requests and made sure that he is so comfortable that he doesn't want to be dealt. And that the family, mom has been living in Regina since he's been there, that they don't want him to be traded as well. And so it's not going to happen. We got to get this through fans' heads. You're not going to see number 98 wearing a different colored jersey than what he's wearing right now. End of story. So we're saving. Get that out of your head. <laughs> we're saving this clip in case some some miracle happens at the trade deadline. We'll come back to it. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, okay. And I'm and I'm got, and I got off track, obviously. But I tend to do that every once in a while. Um, you know, it, uh, it, to me, it, it it was just one of those things where you you can't make the deals now that you used to, that you could make in 2018. So basically, you better have a whole whack of draft picks and and high draft picks. You've got to have those assets in order to trade and get. So I don't know that there's going to be quite that kind of activity. I think Kamloops has the assets still to trade. I don't know that Seattle has them anymore. I think they use up a lot of them. I think Portland has a few assets that they could use. Uh, Saskatoon has a few, but not as many as I think they'd like to think they might have. And uh, and the same thing goes for, for Red Deer. I don't know how anxious Brent Sutter is going to be to start moving a lot of what he's got because he just finished coming through a Memorial Cup a few years before that. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be a dicey situation, but an interesting one between now and January the 10th. Uh, Mike Johnson's never cared much about first-round picks anyway. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> as as for Colin, I mean, having you mentioned the the start that his era had, having to deal with the fallout from the heavy investment made in the Memorial Cup team, do you think that would make them gun shy at all about making that kind of uh, capital or that kind of prospect or draft capital investment in one year? It does. It absolutely does. Back when they first bought the team and they said, if we ever get to a position where we have a really good team and we're faced with the possibility of making deals to try and go for it and go all in, so to speak, um, we're not going to, he said at the time, and he reiterated it to me in a conversation I had with him Friday night after their home win over the Spokane Chiefs at Sastel Center, which the interview I played on my broadcast on Saturday, and it's available on our station website, if I may be allowed a shameless plug, but that full interview I did with Colin Priestner, uh, basically it's one question, the second part of it. I asked him about look going ahead and what could be done before January the 10th, and he went on for about four and a half, five minutes of what they were going to do or what he had hoped to do, and he basically said, first of all, we're not going to trade a whole whack of first and second round picks and leave our cupboard bare. I'll never do that. But the caveat is, I will trade a first-round pick or a second-round pick to get a player that we think might help us down the line. That doesn't mean they're going to be going after the bigger fish. They may not be going after Connor Bedard. They may not be going after you know whomever all else might be out there. But a secondary type of a player that you know costs little less, but is within reach for the Blades, they'll consider doing that, I think, before January the 10th. If you're 
you know, if if you're Swift Current and you got a guy scoring six goals and an assist in one game, I mean, is uh, I wonder, does that become an attractive, you know, way to to recoup assets? I wonder. Maybe. Uh, I see. To me, Swift Current has maybe underachieved a little bit. I mean, they're now in a playoff spot again, and and I think if they can have a good second half, I think they could be dangerous to a, one of the you know, the better teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, I'll, I'll come out and say it here right now. I thought that Swift Current might have been first-place team in the Central Division prior to the start of the year because of all that talent and elite talent that they have, um, you know, drafted players, players who attended NHL rookie camps this year. Um, and it just hasn't come together totally yet, but it's starting to get there, it looks like. Um I thought they could be a first-place team in the Central Division. They're not there yet. Maybe eventually they will. Maybe they'll just end up being a team that gives somebody a real problem come round number one. I think there's a lot of teams like that in the Eastern Conference that could give teams, the, the, the so-called upper echelon teams in the conference, a good goal. A team like Lethbridge uh, is, is difficult to play against. Calgary are difficult to play against. I think Swift Current is pretty difficult to play against. So, um but as far as the Broncos dealing off Josh Philman and getting, you know, some some prospects back or some draft picks back, yeah, maybe. You know, maybe you trade Connor Bitston and get some prospects back. I mean, there's a good player as well. You trade uh, Owen Pickering. You do that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the Broncos have got so many of those types of players who have been drafted by NHL teams or have attended NHL camps and are capable of being really good players that if you're Chad Leslie and Devin Prock, you look at it and you go, do I really want to tinker with this? Because even if we don't quite get there this year, we have a pretty good shot at doing it next year because we're going to be that much older. I I liken the Broncos this year to the Blades of last year and what could be for Swift Current next season. Well, I was going to say, as much as... and. I hear this talk all the time around here. They haven't quite been uh, yet what people thought they may be. Uh, it's still a group that's generally led by a younger group. And so last yeah. year, they were kind of surprised people. They'd been bad for so long. Their best players were all 17. So they, they I think, caught some teams off guard. Uh, and by the end of the year that wasn't happening anymore and this year it's certainly not happening everybody knows the talent that's there but they're still mainly led by 18 year olds in a league that you hear so often is a 19 year old league right so absolutely they're set to peak with that group next year and then some key young guys that'll be a little bit older too to add to that mix so i don't expect something that would happen unless they get you know, kind of offer that allows you to balance your age groups a little bit, uh, and it's it's not future draft picks as much as you know uh, an eighteen year old now. Maybe they get a seventeen year old who they feel is a similar quality level, but isn't quite as developed yet. Uh, and something would you listen to a conversation like that to balance out your age groups? Maybe, but I don't see them being a team that's that's quote unquote selling. And I think it's yeah. tough to find. Teams that that are you know coming into the situation here where they're looking to do that. You mentioned Regina; they're keeping Bedard. They're not going to be selling. They want to do something. Swift Current feels like they're on the rise. They're not going to be selling. 
Um, Prince Albert's already traded a guy or two away. How much is left to trade? You know, Medicine Hat's started to play better. Lethbridge is good. Calgary's been good. You know, who are you getting the players from? You know, yeah. even though the, the, the Eastern Conference has more teams that can miss, I don't know who's selling. Yeah, and that's that's fair comment, Sean. We were talking about this the other day. Uh, you know, we take a look at the Western Conference. Eight of the ten teams make the playoffs. Well, we know already pretty much who the eight teams in the playoffs are going to be because Spokane and Victoria just aren't going to get there. So, you know, and what does Spokane and Victoria do? There, there, there could be they could be sellers. They should be sellers. But what's to give? What what are you looking to get from those two teams? What are their marketable commodities? Out this way, Edmonton. Well, Edmonton pretty much dealt away everybody already. So I, I think that's one's that ship has pretty much sailed. Uh, Prince Albert, you know, Landon Kozier is, is a very good twenty-year-old defenseman. If you have room for a twenty-year-old on your team, and I think Portland has room for a twenty-year-old on their team, so I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something like that happen. If I may be so bold as to extrapolate and think outside the box and think about a p- potential landing spot for a twenty-year-old defenseman like a Landon Kozier, not necessarily him for sure, but somebody like that ending up in Portland. Uh, you know, Medicine Hat, you like to say, they've, they've improved here recently. Uh, Brandon, do they do anything? I mean, I think they're better. They're a bit of a disappointment. They didn't get off to a very good start. But if they decided to make some moves, I mean, guys like Jake Chason would be a, would be a tremendous potential uh, person to, to for a team to grab onto. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just don't know how many sellers there are out there, though. Like I say, there may be three or four right now. But beyond that, I think everybody still thinks of themselves as being in the mix to just make the playoffs. And if you make the playoffs, the old saying goes, you never know what happens. Well, to, to your point, Les, I mean, the, the Spokane Chiefs already, Matt Barsley already sold most of the, most of the, or, yeah. you know, a, a fair bit of their assets. And I think he, I think he got the return that he wanted, you know, early on. And, and so that's, that takes another, mm-hmm. you know, poker player out of the, out of the room and and yeah you're definitely right that, that Portland has uh two two twenties at the moment they have uh they, they have have had an overage spot open all year you know as far as you know they they can they can add yep. there but I don't know if they need anybody on the back end but I mean you know that doesn't that doesn't mean they won't add I mean MJ he's a, he loves to add as we talked about earlier <laughs> yeah absolutely I I mean but Mike Johnston uh, you're not going to sit idly by and just hand over the Western Conference title or the U.S. Division banner to the Seattle Thunderbirds, no matter how good those guys are. Uh, you know, they have to earn it, and uh, and earn it they'll have to if against the, against that Portland organization that, that and that whole division. Really, that's the one thing I've liked about the U.S. Division is that the fans out that way almost demand that your team be competitive every year. There is such a dislike amongst the fan bases out that way. Uh, it's palpable whenever I go into a U.S. division. If we happen to be out in the U.S. division and we happen to be at a place a night and see it, I see a U.S. team versus U.S. team play the night before the Blades are playing, uh, those atmospheres are phenomenal. I've, I've always enjoyed those. And uh, just the fact the way those fan bases treat one another you know, in a, in a nice, playful type of a way. Yeah, right. Uh, 
<laughs> but you know that there's that competition there and and the players feed off of it i find they feed off of it immensely and it's just a great thing to watch out that way and uh it, it's slowly but surely happening again in some of the other divisions in canada well and that demand to be competitive you know makes me think one of the things that i would would expect to see or at least certainly not be surprised to see would be the average silver tip makes sips make some kind of move to improve their gold tag because a, a save percentage below 900 in Everett seems impossible to believe uh, when we've seen the the constant run of successful goaltenders they've had there. So, you know, that's a team I could see making a specific move. For the yep. Blades, Les, what do you think would be areas of need if they were able to pry some stuff free to, to help bolster their roster? I would say Saskatoon could probably use one more top nine forward and one more top four defenseman. That would be my guess as to what they would be looking to do. Um, and especially now with the injuries that they have, uh, especially up front. Uh, Josh Pillar has been out for seven or eight games. Uh, he's limping around. He hopes to be back within the next month, so probably after the trade deadline. Jaden Weems had a a uh, surgical procedure done on uh, one of his legs here. He got a nasty injury in Prince Albert a couple of Saturdays ago. And everybody goes, who's Jaden Weems? Well, he's 19 years old. He's five foot eight, 155, and he's a pit bull. He's Logan Stankoven uh, for Kamloops in Saskatoon. Not quite the offensive talent, but he's that kind of a player. And he's been very valuable to this team. He shut down Connor Bedard the first time the Blades and the Pats played against one another. He was essentially the quintessential third-line center that you sent out against the other team's top line and did a very effective job along with Tyler Parr, who is also out with an upper body injury now, and Vaughn Waterroot on the other side. But Weens, Parr, Pillar, all out of the lineup right now for significant amounts of time, leave the blades a little, a little light in terms of depth up front. So getting a forward is probably priority one. Getting a defenseman to maybe round out to that top six, because if they get a, a decent top four defenseman somehow in a deal, they might have as good of a top six as there is in the conference. And that's saying something when you consider some of the other teams in the conference. Red Deer being one of them right away with, with their defense uh, would be uh, would be tough to beat up on. And, and certainly the same could be said for uh, for, for Winnipeg with their defenses is pretty decent. So, um, you know, the Blades don't need a lot but they could use a couple of guys, I would say. You know, we we briefly touched on the uh, the Connor Roulette uh, trade for, um, you know, to Seattle. And, you know, you have, you know, fan favorites for both clubs, you know, moving, moving you know, for each other and both, you know, being, you know, trades that worked out pretty well. And, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, having another dock, you know, in uh, in Saskatoon was pretty exciting. For the fans, and had to be a little bit frustrating to, to see him move out. But I mean, Trevor Wong has kind of been you know everything as as advertised as far as you know leading the Blades in scoring at the moment. I mean, what, what do you think? How do you think the fan base took that that uh that trade initially, and how do you think they feel about it now? Well, I think last year they weren't all that terribly thrilled about it because Trevor went through a tough year uh, between COVID and between injury. He didn't play uh, a lot of games. Uh, and was a less than a point per game, which he was 
uh, in the uh, in the bubble year or in the uh, shortened year because of COVID in 2021 with Kelowna. So initially there was a lot of, okay, why did we get this guy? He's not doing it. But boy, he's doing it right now. And uh, he's just an assist machine. Uh, he's got, what, assisted in 14 of his last 15 games and has risen from being outside the top 20 to now tied for 10th in league scoring in the last couple of weeks, essentially. So uh, he has been really good. And again, a 200-foot player because he knows his defensive responsibility and does it well. He wins face-offs and he, and he gets his points. He's in on the power play and kills penalties. So he's, he's a guy that is seen probably 25 minutes a night as a forward. Uh, so he's, he's, he's pretty valuable right now and, and definitely a, a good acquisition for Colton Dock. The Connor Roulette trade with, uh, for Kyle Krinkovic. Roulette had some injury issues earlier this year, but he's picked up here recently. He's had a couple of four-point games uh, in, in the last couple of weeks. So uh, suddenly he's well above a point a game, and, and his numbers approach that of what Kyle Krinkovic has done. So I think that's, those, both those deals have worked out pretty well for the Blades, uh, even though I think in both instances they were kind of forced into them to a large degree. I think both players... Uh, either players and or parents had a lot to do with, okay, we want to get moved out of Saskatoon. We think that there's maybe better opportunities for us by playing somewhere else, uh, and maybe it's time for a change of scenery for us. And so that ends up happening, and it's, I think it's worked out for those two guys. Colton Dot's playing for Canada at the World Junior Championships. He's a first-round pick of the – or a second-round pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um you know, Kyle Krinkovic has had, you know, fit in pretty nicely with Seattle and uh but the two guys that the Blades got back don't have to don't have to take a backseat to those guys at all either. You mentioned Les that you're you're starting to get a buzz around the community. Um what's your feel about you know, you said the fans want to know is this team for real? Are they actually gonna, you know, get it done come playoff time? What's your feel for what it would take to reignite the casual fan, the you know, the fan that that you've had your hardcores, but that fan that's been missing for quite a number of years, that that bandwagon kind of fan, the the, the broader appeal of the team. What's it going to take to reignite them? We saw the broad, we saw the bandwagon fan come out in 2019 in Kirby Doc's 17 year old year before he got drafted and taken away by the Chicago Blackhawks third overall um, because the Blades swept Moose Jaw that year in four straight and then came up against Prince Albert in round number two and suddenly there were the 8,000, 9,000 attendance crowds which again still doesn't come close to filling up Saskatchewan Center which can seat 15,100 for hockey if they open everything up uh, but it was fun to see the 8, 9,000 Winning a round of the playoffs this year would be massive. If you could win round two and get to the Eastern Conference Final, then I think you really see the possibility of actually filling that building, especially depending on who the opponent is. Uh, you know, if it could be the Winnipeg Ice, uh, it would be something. If it could be uh, the Red Deer Rebels, there would be a pretty decent-sized crowd. If it was better yet, if it were the Regina Pats, somehow got to the Eastern Conference Final against the Saskatoon Blades. Ah. The big city Saskatchewan rivalry playing in round three. 
are you kidding me? <laughs> the demand for tickets would be crazy, I would say, for, for that type of a playoff series in Saskatoon to see the Blades against the, against Bedard and the Pats. But uh, we'll see if that sort of a thing could possibly happen. We've, we, we've walked into a part of the conversation I was thinking about earlier today that, you know, we saw some uh, a, a dust-up, if you will, about the Winnipeg Ice and Wade, Wayne Fleming Arena and, you know, how they, they're going to have to move out of that thing at some point and get some capacity. And I was thinking about the, 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 the Saskatoon Center and, you know, I wonder if there was a way for the Blades to, like, you know, share some of the room of the building and kind of like move some seats over to to Winnipeg for those guys. Just kind of <laughs> sp- split the place in half, you know. Like, you know, if, you, if if there was a way to make that happen, right? I think everybody wins. Um, yeah, Winnipeg. The Winnipeg situation is one that is that unfortunately has developed the way it has. It is supposed they're they're supposed to be in a new building now. Basically, when they moved from Cranbrook to Winnipeg after the 2017-18 season, they were saying, we're going to be in a new building in two years. Well, 18-19, passed. Come the fall of 2020, well, we're in the midst of COVID, so they, you know, they get a pass there. But even still, what happened come the fall of 2021, you're still having broken ground on a new arena. In fact, you don't have really any plans to build anywhere as of yet. And that's the thing that is driving people crazy around the Western Hockey League, and especially in the league office, because Ron Robinson, the commissioner, wanted so badly to achieve having every provincial capital have a team, and he's got that. With Winnipeg coming in, he has it. Victoria has a team, Edmonton has a team, Regina has a team, and Winnipeg has a team. Goal accomplished. Except that the ICE ownership have not been able to come up with that arena plan to build somewhere and to get that building so that you could put the team in there. And it's a good team. It's a tremendous team. But they're only playing in front of, you know, 14, 1,500 people in that dingy old Wayne Fleming Arena. I mean... Wayne Fleming Arena was being built when I was going to University of Manitoba 45 years ago. That's how old and dingy that place is. It was it it was being built then. Um, it's it's not a Western Hockey League rink. Heck, it's barely a Canada West University rink. So it's unfortunate. Um, but this is what you're this is what you're left with. Except that I think the the league's patience is running out rapidly. And at some point in time, it's going to be fish and cut, fish or cut bait time for the ice ownership. You either have a plan and find a place to either build or expand somewhere. I mean, I've heard the possibility of the MTS Iceplex, which is the Winnipeg Jets Manitoba Moose's practice facility, adding another ice pad onto that facility out in West Winnipeg and building you know, 4,500 seats around it as well. And there, voila, is your new home for the Winnipeg Ice. There are about two or three other things that I've heard about that possible location. And then I've also heard that, well, they're not going to stick around and they're going to end up getting moved. So that's the, the last resort, I think, that the league wants. I think they'd like to keep them in Winnipeg, but something has to get done here soon. And I think that there is... Uh, you know, things happening behind the scenes. I don't, I don't think the Winnipeg Free Press article 
that is necessarily way off base. I think it's slightly off base, but I think it's a lot closer to being true than what anybody is going to admit to right now. And I think as a result, um, there's things there's things happening behind the scenes that are going to end up uh, dictating what happens with Winnipeg in the not too distant future. I think. Well, well uh, I, that's. The, I, I just hope that moving. if I just hope that if the league puts out a. Uh, a, a nasty statement about uh, about what you just said on my show last last that they uh, they at least link to uh, to it like they they did have the courtesy to link to the free the free press article which I actually thought was pretty nice like hey we're really mad at this article here's where you link to it so you can you know so they still get the they still get the traffic but uh, yeah <laughs> what were you saying Sean uh, I if, if there were ever a again. There would have to be a condition that this time they're changing the name because <laughs> you can't go to four different cities and keep the same name. Eventually, you have to think it first. So, yeah, I would hope so. I, I mean, I must admit, I was really, you know, being the guy who's born and raised in Winnipeg and who grew up with the Jets being the original junior team name back in 1967 uh, and having gone through the clubs and the Monarchs and the Warriors before they moved to Moose Jaw. Um, and then, and I think back, that the last time there was a Memorial Cup champion team out of Winnipeg was 1959, and they were the Braves. Uh, back at the time when the team was moving, I thought Braves would have been a great name for the Winnipeg team. Now, of course, political correctness probably won't allow that to ever happen again, so... You know, scrub that. But um, you know, there there have been some great Winnipeg team nicknames uh, over the years that they probably could have used, but they wanted to stick with the ice because they had that whole fifty below zero ownership type of a name going on. So that's why they stuck with it. So I, if they were to move again, yes, I'd like to think that 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 name would be scrubbed forever and ever. You mentioned, you know, we we started this conversation starting about arenas talking about the the arena in Saskatoon now that that is a a good enough arena to play in but the difficulty filling it naturally I mean junior teams don't typically fill 15,000 seat arenas and for anyone who hasn't been to Saskatoon um, or you know even experienced it from a living there uh, sort of perspective if you if you're visiting and staying in a hotel it's one thing but that arena is not really located near anything else, unless you're going to Costco. So it, it's it's not particularly convenient for you know a night out, and, and it's cavernous no. and it's old. I, I know there's been a lot of money dropped in Saskatoon on some public facilities like uh, an art gallery and convention center. Is there any kind of movement towards a change? For the blades, and you know, a facility for Saskatoon that's a little bit more central. Funny you should mention that, Sean. Just today, the city council received a report here that land downtown, seventeen point three million dollars worth of land and buildings were bought that will be expropriated and torn down eventually, if if funding can be put together to build a new arena as part of an entertainment district downtown. It's going to require a whole bunch of infrastructure change, most notably a, a rapid transit system 
that will take buses from various areas of the city to downtown and it tell people that really that's the way to go is to take those buses from various areas of the, of the city to downtown to the rink and to the entertainment district rather than bringing your cars downtown and congesting everything up terribly with, with not enough parking uh, that downtown location there was five locations at one time all downtown that were being looked at they have settled on one but now the question becomes do you have the funding and as we well know in Canada our government is very unlikely to just hand out money for sports facilities anymore so even if the city and the the, the province were to pony up the federal government probably wouldn't they would probably say okay if you hold a multi-sport games i.e. the Pan Am games or you know the British Commonwealth games or dare I say an Olympics that maybe you then get some federal funding to help you buy to help you build facilities but not just an arena it would be multiple facilities but an arena would be part of it possibly but uh, we'll see down the line it's going to require I think some some well-meaning private citizens who have deep pockets in this city to be able to find a way to help build that 15,100 seat arena as part of the downtown entertainment district and it's probably going to happen Sean and uh, Chad in about oh, 15 years still when I may very well be pushing up daisies or certainly retired and just watching from afar as to what goes on here in Saskatoon. But it's a long ways off. But there, but the talk has been on for a couple of years now. Oh, just in time for you to enter, you know, your 50th season and for them to name the broadcast booth. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if the world is ready for that just yet. <laughs> but, I appreciate, but I appreciate your kindness in saying that. <laughs> Well, and, and, and Sean makes a uh, Sean makes a reference that you know where I was thinking too that you know if you ask Medicine Hat or Moose Jaw that yeah we you know both cities that felt like they needed new facilities and 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 did and you know by all I mean again this is you know nowhere I've been but you know by all accounts you know nice facilities but then something got lost and you know now they don't. You know, they used to sell out, you know, 4,006 seats in, in, in Medicine Hat every, every game. And, the you know, obviously the, the crush can speaks for itself. And, you know, something died when they went to both those, you know, teams went to new buildings. But, you know, I don't – the, the South Center doesn't have that same kind of gravitas as, as those classic old barns, though, right? It's kind of apples and oranges. We've, well, we've gone through this thing in Saskatoon, you know, 35 years ago, though, because the old Saskatoon Arena – was similar to Medicine Hat Arena and the Crush Can in terms of the ambience and just the, you know the cramped quarters and how everything was so tight together and everybody was on top of the ice surface practically and really became a part of the game. Uh, you don't have that. You didn't have that. It's Hotel Center, kind of a sterile type of a building in that respect by comparison to those. Um, Moose Jaw that way too, but Moose Jaw the downtown rink. Uh, they suffer from uh, not having a lot of parking available. Um, people, I think, again, that's a that's a strange town there too because they got a really good team and yet they're not drawing all that terribly well. Uh, Medicine Hat is similar to Saskatoon when they built Saskatoon Center or Saskatchewan Place, as it was called initially. It's built way out. I mean, 
the rink is essentially in Redcliffe, which is the first town west out of out of Medicine Hat, uh, near Costco. And that's about all that's out there is a Costco, a hotel, a keg, a Skinny's barbecue uh, place for, for food, and that's about it. Like there, other than that, there's it's, it's industrial. So, um, you know, everybody still seems to find a way to go out to Costco, but they don't want to go to Co-op Place. That one's always a head scratcher, head scratcher to me. So, um, but you know, to each their own. You know, whatever whatever your your, your priorities are, and Costco is obviously a bigger priority than the Medicine Hat Tigers right now out in that <laughs> way. Well, I think part of it is. You know, it's not necessarily that every time you go to the game that you want to be able to kind of wander out and go downtown and go to a bar or go eat somewhere first and wander over. But it's just the feel of it. You know, when, when it, you're surrounded by energy uh, of having a facility that's in the heart of your community. Like, I think in Saskatoon, that would just be so great. It's a, it's a nice downtown. It's clearly the, the, the nicest part of the city. The city, once you get into the downtown core, down by the water... It's a very spread out community, uh, you know, as you know, but not if, if anyone hasn't been to Saskatoon for a city that's, you know, two, three hundred thousand, it's very spread out. And so, you know, to have it in a central location, to increase transport, to, you know, put it in the heart of the activity, it, it would just make the arena, the team, the concerts and anything happening there just be feel more part of the city whereas when you're on the outskirts it's so easy to forget it and and, yeah. and if i were in saskatoon i would be heading up to scott moe's door and saying i think there was a lot of money spent at a pretty big stadium in regina so what about us well i think and i think those conversations have happened i, I don't think there's any i think the province would do it in a heartbeat but you can't just rely on the province to foot the whole bill uh, it's going to have to require some private and uh, some private contributions, and I think it's still going to require some federal funding. And I just don't know that the federal government has that type of appetite to be, you know, funding sport facilities in Saskatoon or anywhere right now. So, um, like I say, the fund, you know, putting together the funding—that's the big thing that has the big hurdle that has to be cleared in order to get the new downtown entertainment district and arena built here in Saskatoon. And like I say. I'm not holding my breath that it's going to happen in my lifetime or before I my hair falls all out or whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it does. I'm really anxious for it to happen, and I'd love to see it uh, one day, but I'm not holding my breath. Let's put it that way. I do think you landed on something, though, that could make the case to the federal government is that if you tie it to uh, sustainable development, you know, if you say this arena yep. development is tied to developing um, public transportation hubs, is tied to getting cars off the street, getting, you know what I mean? Uh, if, if the project is linked to sustainable development in that way, that's a way to get them on board that's saleable rather than we're just supporting a sports facility. And then, you know, oh, yeah. there's other ways. Like, there are some major. First Nations hockey events that happen in around the area. What if they partnered with it and, and we're going to host some of those those tournaments at, at that facility? There's there's doors to open to the federal government. You just have to approach it the right way. Give them a, a, a way in um, that suits their agenda. From your lips, Sean, to Justin Trudeau's ears. 
doesn't take calls, but... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't take mine either. <laughs> Mind you, I don't vote for him either, so that's not surprising. <laughs> well, Sean, you're even from Ottawa. you think he'd have it in there, right? <laughs> well, Les, we've, yeah. we, we've kept you for a while, and... Uh, you know, we don't want to get too too far into federal politics, piss everybody off. But uh, um, do you have any other uh, things you want to touch on here, Les, as we we get to putting a bow on this? Well, I, if we put a bow on it, I guess I just want to just mention the fact that, okay, um, this has been a tremendous first half of the season. It's not even halfway through. 29 games out of 68 is not half. They won't get that until after uh, they visit Swift Current, oddly enough on uh, January the 6th but the Blades are in a are in a good position here they've got a 24 and 5 record they've got those some monumental games and dates upcoming uh, they play back to back in Winnipeg on the 30th and 31st of December so there's another big litmus test and then happens the tra- the trade deadline on the 10th and immediately after that they get Seattle come through on the 11th uh, or sorry Portland on the 11th and Seattle on the 14th of January so you're going to get a pretty good idea right there what the Saskatoon Blades either need once they finish playing Winnipeg and what their prospects are once they start playing those better U.S. division teams. So I'm really anxious for the next month or so, and it's almost too bad that we've got the Christmas break because, again, the team is just rolling here right now. Uh, I think the coaches would have loved to have kept on playing. I think the players are pretty happy they got a break, but... Uh, Everybody's pretty energized here, and it, it makes for what's going to be a very, very interesting second half of the season, uh, you know, right through to the end of March. A closing question for me, Les, if, if I can, um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of inside baseball, but, you know, you are uh, a sports broadcaster's broadcaster. You came up, you have great respect for the craft. It's something you've been passionate about uh, for most of your life, from what I understand. And and has been a huge part of your professional life. So, I, I know you've paid very close attention from your own work to what happens on the outside. How? What are the most substantial ways in your mind that the job, the experience, has has changed the approach had to a change from you know your beginning days as a as a play by play broadcaster to where we stand in this modern age in twenty twenty two. Well, I think so much now you have to be more in tune with the team you follow. Uh, it, you know, some people would say you're kind of giving in to the man a little bit, but I think that's, uh, when, you take, when you consider that when I started Western Hockey League games, most of the play-by-play guys were hired by the radio station who had the rights to broadcast the teams. There aren't a lot of us, and I'm still one of those who works for the radio company and does not work for the team, but when I consider there's more than half of the Western Hockey League teams hire the broadcaster, that's you know that's a major difference uh, from what it was. So uh, that's an evolutionary thing. Another evolutionary thing is just the idea that you have to go through some of the hoops of going through communications people on the various teams. It used to be you could just go up to a coach or to a player and say, hey, I'm so-and-so with, so, with the Blades, and you know, you've got a couple of minutes to chat. Uh, you can't do that anymore. You've got to go through everybody, and, and you've got to talk to people before you can actually 
do your interviews and, and, and do those sorts of things that you used to be able to do um, almost like second nature. You have to adapt. You have to adapt to the change. And uh, I like to think I've adapted to all the various things that have gone on over the course of time. And I think it's important to be able to be adaptable in this uh, in this job. And uh, so long as you're able to do that, I think you have a chance of uh, being able to have a long career in it. Yeah, and you know, as we again, as we're on our way out of this, it part of why I wanted to have you on last is you, you know, it seems like you know, a, again, a team the the Blades are on a won their last nine straight games, you know, twenty four and five on the year, and yet it seems like they're no one's really talking about them. At least I don't, I don't get that impression. And so, it's, Good. yeah, and it, I mean, is it is it kind of like that on the on the ground? You think? It in, in my mind. Them being 24 and 5, which would normally be more often than not good enough to be first overall, and they're not, to me is good. I like flying under the radar to a large degree, if you can. Because if you can do that, have the focus on others and let them have the pressure. And if you can stay away from the pressure and, and, and continue to perform, I think you have a better opportunity of, you know, sneaking up and, and actually, you know, grabbing the brass ring right out from under the people who have that, who have all that pressure on them to to succeed and that would include Kamloops and include Seattle and include Winnipeg you know those sorts of places who have done so well and were expected to do well again not a lot of people thought the blades would do well the blades themselves thought they could do pretty well but not a lot of people gave them the opportunity compared to some of those others and here they are right there and Still, people are looking at those other teams and not so much at Saskatoon. And I said, good, keep it going. Keep looking at Winnipeg, Seattle, Kamloops, Red Deer, Portland, whomever. But keep looking at them. Just ignore us. We'll be, we'll be fine here. We'll, we'll take our chances when the time comes. Uh, I think that there'd be, you know, for, for all that, that the city has, uh, the, the teams that the city has had to endure that looked like they were on the cusp of something and didn't quite get there and and for for your years of uh, excellent service to the league, uh, I, sh- I sure would love to. Uh, you know, no shot at any other team, but I'd sure love to hear you call a championship, uh, <laughs> if, if not now, sometime in the near future. Les, I think that would be terrific. It would be. Uh, thank you, Sean. That's very kind of you to say again. But again, it's not about me. It would be about for the fans of Saskatoon and for the ownership of the Blades and for the coaching staff and for the management and for the players. That's who I would be most excited if they were to do that sort of thing. Me getting the chance to call it, that would just be icing on the cake, but it'd be for everybody else to be able to win that championship. That would really be something for them. Well, I bet you'd add some extra depth to it, though, Les. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, I'd, I think I'd celebrate a little. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you might be the last in line to get the cup, but they're going to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> it's a long ways up to the broadcast booth to get that cup to you, though, so... Yeah, well, that's why you got all night to do it, right? But uh, that's yeah. true, very true. All right, Les. Well, as always, we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the the blades here whenever the second half starts. So, yep, for sure. Thanks, guys. Chad did a great job as always, and Sean, good to hear your voice again, and we'll look forward to seeing you in Swifty. <laughs>